You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Well, today we have an exciting episode, I think. Uh, for once, you're not going to hear me and Gary talk a lot. You're going to hear some of our guests, uh, so that should be fun. Uh, so I have Brian here and Doug from the Retail Feedback Group, and I'm going to let them kind of take off and give them an introduction. I think they do something incredibly fascinating. Uh, so, you know, we've been talking about technology and apps and all this cool stuff, but I think they bring an entirely different dimension to this entire space. And I think it's going to be fantastic to hear from them, their backgrounds and what they're up to, and we're going to have a great chat here. So, Brian and Doug, take it away. Great. Well, yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, we're excited to be here today, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll give you a little background first. You know, my background was at graduate school at the University of Minnesota, and I thought, you know, I, I need to find a job, and why not in the food industry? So started out with the grocery wholesaler and retailer. And I thought, well, you know, people have to eat. This would be a good thing, at least for a while. So I'll try it out. And then, uh, you know, probably a short stop to something else. But there I was 19 years later, uh, leaving the company I'd been with all those years, Nash Finch Company. And during that time, I had led market research, public relations and corporate philanthropy, kind of built all of those departments. And then joined Doug uh, at Retail Feedback Group almost nine years ago already. Uh, as a principal in the organization, which has been immensely enjoyable. So Doug, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm Doug Maddenberg. And yeah, my interest in the in the field of retail really was peaked in college as well. I had a, like a dual major. I have degrees in human resources and, and business. And I think it was that sort of combination that really excited me about the field of retail because of the the frontline experience, the frontline customer experience was always dependent essentially on a transaction or an experience between two people, right? Somebody that works at a retailer and, and a shopper and a customer and all the different dynamics that were involved in that specific transaction, despite what the company may have, you know, on their, you know, operating philosophy is it always came down to that transaction between two people on the front line. And so I studied that a fair amount in college and grad school. And then I, after that, went to Deloitte Consulting in their retail uh, practice here in New York and uh, got interested more in consumer research and employee surveys as well. And so branched off uh, after that. I've always found survey research to be fascinating because it is forward looking, right? So I, like I've always been interested in the difference between a transaction and an experience. And there are so many companies, a lot of retailers out there that are keyed into transactions when really key is to be focused on the experience. And because when you're thinking about transactions, you're looking backward, essentially. How did we do last quarter? How did we do last year? When you're thinking about experiences and looking and using survey research and using feedback to understand you know, the experience behind the transaction, that's forward looking because then we're saying, okay, so what's happening in our shoppers' minds that we can adjust and do better in the future. So it's always interested me in terms of subject matter. I also grew up sort of in the grocery business as Brian did in terms of my career. I'm actually a second generation practitioner. My father started a, a consumer research company that did something similar to what we do now. I'm second generation in that when my summer job, when I was a kid was I was in, in grocery stores, but I wasn't working behind the counter. I was, I was with clipboards and interviewing customers and looking at license plates and, and counting floor tiles and things like that. And so 
a lot of our clients, Brian and I, we work with a lot of uh, community-based retailers, a lot of independent uh, operators. Uh, some of the clients uh, that we work with, their parents, their fathers were, were clients of my father uh, when we were growing up. So it's sort of an interesting corner of the business that we're in, and it's just a fun place to be. So there's a couple of points that you made here, Doug, that I think really caught my attention, which is you talked about forward-looking. And, you know, and, you, and you're so right, because Gary and I in the last few podcasts have talked about looking at data, getting insights from data, and in looking at transactions and trying to understand shopper behavior. And you, your business brings a completely different dimension. And, you know, I know we've had private conversations separately. Wouldn't it be cool if you could kind of combine these two and it would just be an explosive mix to be able to get that whole thing? What do you guys feel about it? Do you think that's, that's where things are going from understanding shopper behavior? I really do. And I think, you know, obviously so much has changed in the world in the last six months. But one of the things that I think has changed or probably will change for the better, at least I hope it will, is before this, the pandemic, I think that the tendency was to for as smart as we were getting on the analytics side, on the feedback side, we were almost dumbing things down in a way that I found disappointing, right? So, and just think about the whole concept of a smiley face or a sad face. Am I happy or not? Was it good or bad? And that one rating supposed to key in all these insights to an organization might be heresy for, for a researcher to say this, but I think that's bull. I just don't think you can capture the nuances of an experience with a smiley face or a sad face. And yet it was easier for retailers to say, okay, we got 83% happy faces. That's great because last month we were 82 and next month we're going to be 85. And we were, we were kind of dumbing down the whole experience. And I think that what's happened now is people are, I hope, I hope this is what happens now. And I think I'm, if I'm reading into it correctly, is that retailers are, are listening to their customers more now than they ever have, because it's more important now than it ever has been. And so for all of us that have been out there, me and you and Brian and Gary and all of us that have been interested in the experience in terms of all the nuances and not just one summary rating, I think that's important because now we're going to hopefully attach all of what we can learn about an experience beyond just one rating. And what we can get into a little bit about where I think the future of surveying is going relative to, to what you do and, and that whole aspect. And just to tag onto that, so I mean, you know, you talk about one rating and a lot of people using one rating. What do you do with one rating? I mean, how do you, how do you improve things? You know, we do some very specific market or store level consumer research for many of our clients where we take a deep dive look at all the stores in the market compared to each other and how do they do in different departments and services to understand who's got a strength, who's got a weakness, who's only average. And then you can take that and turn that into where are the gaps and where are the opportunities and where can you leverage your strengths? There's a lot of data points to that. And if we just did one rating, what would, how would we get there? How would we know what to do to, to help that retailer move forward in a given market or as a brand? Yeah. And I think what puts and is going to put this whole area really on steroids is being able to do that kind of research by different types of customers, right? You know, no retailer has just a customer or a typical customer. We all have a range of customers, right? From high spending to low spending, big families, seniors living alone. We need to understand not only who our different customers are, but do that research by different types of customers to really understand what's happening. 
And you know, I can remember years ago when I was still you know, an active retailer, leveraging all this new loyalty data and so on, doing some of those types of things and understanding different uh, customer segments and then conducting really specific surveys and feedback, seeking to discover specific things, right? And it was fascinating. Some of the things that came to light that we would never have expected. That's a great point, Gary. And, you know, think about like focus groups you used to do, right? You get a group of, of top shoppers in a room or you get a group of secondary shoppers in a room and you get very different insights um, with the two groups, as you're saying. And I think as a lot of surveying has become more automated, what's happened is that people are, you know, retailers are essentially asking the same set of questions to a whole array, vast array of customers. Yeah, and yeah. Shaker and I have talked about this for quite some time. I agree. I think the future is going to be being able to tailor the specific questions that you ask to different customer segments because they do have different opinions and to find out, you know, what exactly will drive secondary shoppers to spend more with you or what is it about primary shoppers that they like most, you know, that they're that they haven't been liking more, you know, lately or what have you. Those are the kinds of things that I think I, I do hope come into the picture as we move forward. So Bringing it back and connecting it back, obviously, once you get this data back from the shoppers, you're processing this to drive insights that you can feed back to the retailer, which hopefully in, result in some operational changes, which can move the needle. Uh, how do you guys work with retailers in terms of presenting these results back? And how does that find its way into operationalizing some of these findings? Well, that's a, you know, that's a really good question. And a lot of times what we do when we, the management team gets together, uh, we go through the results with them and they develop a very specific action plan right down to different departments, to services, to, to issues within those areas that, that have been identified in the research that they can then operationally address. So it's a very, you know, those are the best retailers, the ones that will really take that information, absorb it, turn it into action plans and execute. And so that's, that's where it becomes very valuable. Do you have any favorite fireside chat stories where you guys have done some research, presented it back, and you've kind of seen stuff happen around it that uh, you'd call your favorites? I think, you know, keying on what Brian just said, I think that we have environments and, and, and clients that we work with that really get it. When they're looking at survey results, everybody's in the room. We're not talking about different silos and okay, the marketing guy owns this survey or it's just the, op, you know, just the operations house. It's everybody in a room. So we're looking at a consumer survey about a store and we've got the store manager there, the district manager, we've got the merchandising guys, we've got the operations guys, the real estate guys, the HR people, all sitting around a table talking about how does this, you know, what do we do organizationally to support the consumer perception of this store because it's not just about one specific store manager and hey here are your survey results you better do something about it it's organizationally how do we all support this so i think those are the the sort of favorite environments that we have when we when we present results it's never easy to do the work and say okay these are survey results here's feedback we're getting what are we going to do about this what are, you know how do we turn this into action plans uh, what are we hearing about specific areas of the store, specific departments, operationally, what's going on? That's the hard work, and there's really no substitute for doing action planning, keeping people accountable. What I love is when retailers revisit survey results. So a lot of times when we're doing results of surveys, 
we're not just talking about which stores we're talking about at that moment, but we bring back the last few surveys that we've done. Three months ago, we heard the results of those surveys. Here's what we've been doing in, those, in these stores to take advantage of the insights that we're getting. So to me, I think that's, that's a great way to look at it. The question is how you present these results in order to, to have the most impact within an organization. And a lot of retailers are so interested in the numbers and they want to know, okay, do we move the needle from this from last year to this year or last period to this period? I always think it's really important. Every presentation that I do about survey results that I talk not just about the numbers, but about the, the voices to talk about the open ended feedback. Now, obviously, we're not talking about re a representative sample, but it's always great to point out specific comments that were made that sort of kind of put the meat on the bones of all the results that are coming back because there's just no substitute for hearing what a customer thinks, whether that's playing them a voice file or a video in a, in a focus group or text from a, you know, from a survey comment uh, for, or from chat. To have that, that voice, because what it does is it gives some humanity to the whole process, right? So it's not just numbers and ratings and experiences. It's what are, let's listen to our shoppers for a second, take a step back and understand that these are people. These are people that have real experiences that, you know, that are in the course, in the course of their lives, they're shopping in our store or they're shopping at competitors and we've done something really well and here's what they say, or we've done something to, that bothers them and here's what they say. There's no substitute for letting retailers have access to that and hearing that because that's what really motivates them, I think, to take action on the numbers. Right. And you guys have obviously worked with dozens and dozens of chains over the years. Have you seen uh, a difference in how people implement some of these findings? Is there any characteristics that you find about these retailers? Hey, these retailers are really good at taking these findings and actually creating an action plan. And because your surveys are probably similar across most retailers and some people get different results based on how well they act on them. Right. I mean, I think it all comes back to, again, you know, how committed the team is acting as a team to figure out what to do with the results and how to implement, you know, execution against those findings. Where it doesn't work well is when somebody gets the results and it's siloed and it, and it doesn't ever get communicated up the chain or around the organization and ends up on a shelf somewhere in a binder or, or now filed electronically and never sees the light of day to, to actually have something done about it. Now, those are far and few between relative to the people that do stuff with our findings. I think that it's really important for a team approach at tackling the findings of those studies, because that's when you get into some real benefit for the retailer. Do you see any differences across retailers? And I'm thinking, you know, retailers that have some level of customer intelligence, you know, maybe they're gathering data through a loyalty program or other means versus those retailers that really don't have a good view to their customers. Is there any correlation with how they use the kind of research you do? When we work with a retailer that has, you know, that's more sophisticated in terms of how they're tracking customers, they are able to take their insights and sort of feed them into that same pipeline of what should we be doing on a, a store specific basis or a customer segment basis. But to be honest with you, Gary, that would be next level response. And I'm not sure that retailers are quite there yet in terms of integrating the survey experiential feedback that they have with their customer data and their transactional data. I don't, I don't know that there are that many that are there yet. And I would add to that, that there's also, 
you know, like Doug said, that's kind of rolling up the sophistication level. But for people that don't have anything else, a lot of times when we do our market level studies or our brand level studies, that may be the only thing that they have to utilize, right? So, yeah. so that becomes a very actionable and very, you know, important part of their process in terms of how they understand their customers. It kind of reminds me when I chaired the FMI Consumer Market Research Committee years ago, you know, back of the, the trends in the industry studies that were done every year. There was a time where they were doing these studies, but there was, if you were a retailer, what would you do with those results? How do you know what your market was relative to what those findings were, right? Right. So I had suggested to Michael Sansolo at that time, why don't we incorporate the generations and measure the generations so the retailers can go back and at least break the data into the generations in their marketplace and do something with the findings? So I think there's always that important, how do you make it real for the retailer? Yeah. So Gary, you know, in the last episode, we of course talked about, you know, some of the new technologies are coming in, how we think they may disrupt and somehow retailers may be impacted. What what role do you think feedback and surveys have in for retailers to understand impact of either competition or new technologies coming in and how likely their customers are likely to move from them, how likely they are to to lose them, you know, because some of this data is almost impossible to find in transactional data. But if I could ask you a question, why should I try to guess from the data, right? And I always feel that, hey, the person is in front of me, let me just ask him the question instead of looking at his transaction history and trying to guess how they're feeling. And and I've always felt that surveys, and I think I've mentioned this to Doug, it seems to me such more honest feedback in understanding, you know, how committed is this customer to this retailer, right? And uh, I guess the nature of the survey gives you a good idea of, okay, this is a customer I know that cares deeply about shopping at my store. And so guessing that with, you know, with Amazon, drone delivery, with e-commerce, all of these amazing changes coming up, retailers are concerned about how they're going to hang on to their customers. And I'd have to think that surveys must be a great way to find out, right? To build on that, Shaker, I think surveys can be a really powerful tool. I think there's some work to be done, and this could be a really exciting project, to understand how we can take that attitudinal data and bring that together with the customer profile that a bird's eye creates drawn from purchase data and maybe other third-party data, but we bring all this intelligence together and synthesize it, right? And to me, that's what really makes this stuff real. I'll go back years ago as a retailer, you know, different times we would conduct different surveys and so on. And one of the things I began to find was, and maybe it was simply we weren't working with the right survey group, often we ask the customer, how good a customer are you? How often do you shop? How much do you spend? That type of thing. And many times we began to find out that there was a big difference between what the customer said they did and what they actually did. And that came to light when we began gathering all this real customer data and beginning to pair these things together. So I I think there's a lot that can be, I think there's a lot of untapped potential here that that can be leveraged in a lot of different directions. Yeah, I I would agree, guys. And, and, you know, we've had conversations about how to integrate the attitudinal um, with the behavioral um, data points, you know, in in a customer's profile, because I, I think that's where the future is, because that's where we're going to be able to see, are we moving the needle? And to be able to understand, I mean, the classic example is a shopper leaves the store with a full shopping cart. And so what do we assume about that, about that visit, that they were totally happy? We have no idea. 
We don't know if we don't know if there's if they're saying, yeah, that was terrific. And I just spent a lot of money there and, and I can't wait to come back next week. Or are they saying, you know what, this is probably gonna be the last time I shop here because I was annoyed by this and I was the, the checkout was too slow and they didn't have these three things that I wanted. There's no way of knowing that beyond simply asking. And you bring up a good point, Gary, which is there are certain questions and certain insights that are more appropriate than others to ask. In other words, some of them should be in our purview as retailers, and some of them should be things that we need to ask the shopper. We shouldn't have to ask the shopper about their level of, of spend with us or anything like that, because right. like the best retailers know that. And so why leave it to unreliability of a, of a, of a shopper's answer there? We know all that stuff. What we really do need to find out is the attitudinal. So we, it's almost like you have to use the right vehicle to get the right information and then marry that up. So let's talk about, you know, you guys have been doing surveys, I'm sure, during this whole six-month period. That, you know, everybody's wondering how this is going to change shopper behavior and attitudes towards, you know, shopping in store. What's, what are some of your findings? Well, we got a lot of them. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> sure <you do. laughs> Give us the highlights. We do have a lot of findings. I can tell you that much. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll mention a couple. I'll let Doug mention a couple. But, you know, we found out, obviously, that shoppers are, you know, shopping less often but spending more money. And that's kind of a, you know, a basic finding. But yeah, I mean, that, that's important you know, for labor, for all sorts of other reasons in a store to know that. And we've also found out that, you know, rebuilding confidence among shoppers in the safety of shopping in a physical supermarket is an issue. Am, am I comfortable that the store is doing the, the right things that I feel makes it safe for me to shop there? Are there employees adhering to the safety protocols that they've established? You know, we see a lot of comments in our so do you our, see a uh, variance in, in the generational side of things and how they respond? I mean, are certain generations more concerned about this than others? There, I mean, there is some of that, and I think it does vary. But, I mean, what's really interesting is the online shopping piece to that and how the dual-channel shopping that's going on nowadays generationally. So, you know, there's a, a much higher incidence among shopping both online and in-store among younger shoppers than there is among older shoppers, say boomers and the silent generation, but they're doing it too. So it's created a different dynamic in, in the shopping environment now. To that point, guys, our research found that when we asked in-store shoppers if they had also shopped online in the last 30 days, over 50% had also shopped online. So to us, one of the big learnings of this whole, of this whole time period has been that we used to have this notion of, we have our online shoppers and our in-store shoppers. Right. That's, there is, that's, that doesn't exist right now. We've got the same pool of shoppers and most of them are doing both. And I use a lot of online shopping services. I visit a lot of different stores and you'd be hard pressed to find any retailers that show me, they may understand it conceptually, but that show me as a customer that they truly get that. And I remember the first time that I went on to Amazon to get some groceries online, at, uh, order of groceries at Whole Foods. And I remember the first time that in my past purchases history, I saw items that I had ordered online, but also items I had bought in store at Whole Foods. And I thought, you know what, to me as a shopper, this, this is convenience. This is less friction. If I can see on one screen here, everything I, I might want to reorder, repurchase, that I've bought in store or online because I don't, as a customer, it doesn't, shouldn't matter to me where I've bought them. I just want to see what I've bought before. That's a piece of integration that so far Amazon has figured out what they do. And there's a lot that other retailers do better than that, but I haven't seen any other retailers even figure that simple piece out. 
given how integrated this whole, you know, all of their shoppers are at this point. A lot of retailers are still working with very siloed systems, right? Online is separate from in-store. And if they're doing any kind of targeting or personalization, it's within that silo. They're not backing up to create a holistic, comprehensive view to that shopper. So do you see this dual channel behavior more skewed in certain categories over others? Are people more likely to buy center store items online, but want to go in store for fresh food and perimeter items? Is it all kind of mixed up? I think that, that there is a mix to that. I mean, I think people are more accepting nowadays than ever before in terms of the whole fresh uh, categories. I mean, that used to be the thing. Everybody, you know, I want to squeeze this and touch that, and I, I'm not going to buy that online. But I think what this forced is people to try it because they didn't really have a choice or they didn't want to, you know, go into a store. And all of a sudden they discovered that, you know, maybe what really happens is that there are people that know how to pick this stuff and I'm getting better quality than I might get myself because I don't know how to pick it real well. <laughs> so that was always the old, you know, I know Coburn's, um, when they used to do the Coburn's delivers, they had a, a kind of a process for testing products before they were sent out. And so, you know, that's, I think some customers have probably become more reassured. But, you know, and the other thing is I would say about online shopping piece, about a third of the shoppers in our national studies were first timers shopping online. So they had never shopped before with an online shopping service. And we also found that about 60%, just, just nor, a little bit north of that, of shoppers used two or more online grocery providers in the last three months. So there was definitely some trialing. I can't get what I want over here. The delivery slot's not available over there. All those issues that we were having, it, it exposed people to a lot of different options. Yes. Which also is, you know, as, as created a little more of an interest, I think, or an understanding of what different retailers are, are doing in that space, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or whether it's, you know, uh, independent supermarkets. So uh, just slightly changing topic here. So we've been talking about surveys, but what about the tech behind the surveys? Yes, you have ways of asking questions, but has the mode in which you ask and take these surveys changed over time? And where do you see that going? Yeah, I think that there's you know, obviously there, there's more automated, you know, survey techniques that are available to, to retailers now than there ever have been. And so, you know, that can be anywhere from standard, you know, web-based survey, there can be text surveys, email surveys, and, you know, they each have their place and their, they each have different levels of um, participation and engagement in terms of whether or not people are willing to, to respond. But yeah, I mean, I think that now, just as technology is opening up channels in a lot of different areas, feedback, same thing. It's, you know, there are a lot of different ways that we can hear from our customers, whether it's about an in-store experience or an online experience. In fact, one of the opportunities I think that we, that retailers have is to get that online shopping feedback the same way that they've been conditioned, or at least a lot of them, to get in-store shopping feedback. Do you think we're going to see requesting feedback from shoppers to become more deeply integrated with the shopping and transacting experience so that it's not just, oh, we're going to do a survey this week of this month or of this quarter. It's going to be an ongoing, pervasive, almost every time you transact, maybe there's a quick question, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Or did you like that? Do you see this becoming more deeply embedded into the, the whole retail experience? 
Absolutely, I do. And, and we're working with some of our clients to move more toward that model, where it's sort of a shorter survey about their last experience contextually to, you know, potentially to what they bought and certainly the, the, the shopper segment that they're in. It's sort of a balancing act, Gary, because even though during the pandemic, you know, shoppers have almost shown an increased willingness to respond to surveys and to give their feedback because they sort of are willing to share that connection. I think we do have to be careful of this notion of people feeling over surveyed. We need to make sure, just like everything that we do for our, for our customers, our shoppers, we need to make it worth their while you know, whether it's give us feedback or return to the store or click on a promotion, whatever it is, if it's not perceived by them to be worth their while, then they're probably not going to do it. Can we get to a place where we're asking specific questions to each shopper? Is it relative to their last experience in terms of what they purchased? Is it relative to their own shopper segment? Is it short enough so that it's meeting our needs for for information, but not overloading, you know, right. the, survey so it's too long. So it's it's kind of a balancing act. Another question for you. Have you done any research? I mean, obviously retailers want to know about their operations. How did the shopper, what do they think of the deli or meat department, that type of thing. Have you done any research around how that shopper may position that retailer to their friends or family or people outside the store? If they're conveying to their friends or family or, or other people, hey, this is a phenomenal shopping experience or I had a terrible time here. So it's, it's more externally focused. Yeah, I, I think that there are questions that we ask in our surveys and, and some of them are on the visit specific surveys, but some of them are on supplemental surveys because you know there's a difference between, just as you point out, they're asking about their current or most recent shopping experience and then asking about in general, whether or not they would recommend this retailer to friends and colleagues or whether or not they come back and, and repurchase. It's interesting because everybody in the industry seems to use that one question about would you recommend to friends or family as the, as the stand-in, as the proxy for loyalty, right? That seems to be the industry accepted practice. There are other ways though, because really what that's getting is, you know, sort of recommendation loyalty or as they call it, advocacy loyalty. But yeah. then there's other kinds of loyalty like repurchase loyalty and revisit loyalty. And those might be addressed with other questions, not necessarily what I recommend, but how likely is it that I'm going to come back, you know, next month, or am I going to be doing more of my, just as much or more of my grocery shopping in the next few months at this store? Those kinds of questions can be tweaked so that you can get at that sort of predictive nature of, all right, am I spreading the word? Am I, am I going beyond this visit as a, as a customer? Doug, where I'm going with that is that I've been doing a lot of thinking lately around lifetime value of a customer and the value of customers over time. I was really fortunate, again, as a retailer, before I stepped away from, from retail, I had over 10 years of detailed customer purchase data, right, that I could dive into. And it was absolutely fascinating to look at changes of behavior over time, but also the number of shoppers that continued to shop with us year after year after year for 10 years. And yes, that speaks to lifetime value, but I think there's another dimension of that to what I was trying to, to ask about here was that customer that's been shopping over 10 years, how many other people have they conveyed maybe some type of positive experience to that has also created benefit back to the retailer, right? Wouldn't it be wild if there's some way we could put some type of measure or metric or score 
around that and bring that into that lifetime value metric. Gary, we can, right. we can have really hats that we hand out at the store with electrodes that stick in the, <laughs> you know, the shopper's We'll, we'll, we'll get Musk's uh, Neuralink. We'll That's right, that. yeah. Yeah, Brian. Sorry, go ahead. Well, and the newer twist on all that, of course, it, it wasn't around, you know, 20 years ago is social media, right? Yes. So we also measure in our in our national study, you know, what social media channels are, are being used by generation and are they connected with the supermarket on social media or they, and are they connected with the online grocery service? So we found in the last study that 20% of shoppers said they were connected on social media with their supermarket, 37% were connected with their online grocery shopping service. Kind of not surprising given that the people that are doing the online grocery shopping are maybe a little more technically interested and in, in connected that way. But what we also found out was that, you know, for instance, uh, video, using video and social media to communicate, for example, the results of what you found in your research and what you're doing to address those customer concerns could be really powerful because YouTube is one of the top three channels used by every generation. So you've got that element. You've got um, Instagram picking up a lot of steam with the younger generations. You've got Pinterest with the older generations as one of the top three. How do you take the results and communicate them back to shoppers to foster even more participation and interest yeah. in helping the retailer? And that social media is the, the newest piece of that puzzle. Gary, I have one question that I want to ask these guys. Uh, what do you see the entire, so I know we've talked about you know, where this is going, trying to combine attitudinal data with purchase data and then coming up with some explosive mix, which gives you a more holistic view on what, where the customer may be, go, may be going. Any other exciting things that you see happening in the survey area? You've hit the nail on the head right there, Shaker. That's, to me, that's where, where it should be going. In other words, we should be thinking in an integrated way, using feedback as a, a channel of data, just like we have all these other channels of data and integrating it so that we can be smarter about surveys going forward and, and survey research. And not just about collecting the data, but even just about simple things like getting people to respond to a survey. Usually there's one size fits all in terms of what the incentive is for participating in a survey. You know, why can't it be that I'm gonna offer customer specific incentives to participate in a survey based on what he or she has purchased in the past, in the past three weeks, or what is on their profile in terms of their health profile or what they choose to buy or what they're interested in. Those kinds of things, not looking at survey data as just this thing that's sitting out there and its own set of information integrated into all the other data we have about the customer. To me, that's where it, we should be going with survey feedback going forward. I don't want to tom-tom well, -tom our integration here between Birdseye and Retail Feedback Group, but we're, we're doing some pretty exciting things ourselves. Uh, I know to kind of move this entire thing forward, but anybody who's interested in listening to this, feel free to reach out to us. And we're glad to talk to you a little bit more uh, about that. But Brian, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, what would really be interesting is to take loyalty data or shopper data and do what some other industries have done. You know, Virtuous, for example, in the nonprofit sector, the fundraising sector, they can literally, they have a profile of every donor of a nonprofit organization that includes every aspect of that person. It scrapes social media. It's got their, you know, their donation history. It's got any personal information. You start building a real profile around every customer. Could you imagine the power you would have as a retailer if you knew everything about each shopper that was relevant when they walked in the door and could, and could go address that customer in a way that would make them feel like a million dollars. 
let's take it back one more step, guys. Um, if we take it back to the relationship with the customer, you know, we've always talked to our clients about using the feedback that they get in ways that just think of it, think, just step back and think about it. If I, as a shopper, am telling you, giving you feedback about something, some gluten-free selection that you have, right? It's positive. I saw a good selection of gluten-free products because I have celiac disease or I was looking for more products because I, my daughter has celiac disease or whatever that is. Obviously, you get a ton of that type of information using a survey. Wouldn't it be awesome if the buyer for the gluten-free category knew that we were, when we brought in a new gluten-free product, that we could then send an email back to that shopper saying something like, hey, we've got a new gluten-free product. Come try it. You know, I'll give you a sample. I'm, you know, I'm the store manager. You know, come into the store and because we know that you're interested in gluten-free. Hold on for a second. Now, all of a sudden, as a shopper, that now I realize that that's where they get it. That's where they get me as a shopper. That's where you would use customer feedback to actually further the relationship. Or Gary, you probably remember, I'm sure you did this at your store, like in the old days when we had loyalty cards and you actually could know when someone gave you a loyalty card, what type of shopper they were mm -hmm. so that you could address them by name and have that individual relationship in the store. Well, why can't we be doing the same thing based on their feedback from last week's experience? You know, Mrs. Jones, I see we weren't quite up to your expectations last week. I sure hope that this time we were, you know, we were a little bit better or it's almost like, using the future to go back to how we were in the past. You're dead on, I think, with that. And that can be incredibly powerful, right? Recognition of a shopper, doing things to build that relationship, in my experience, are far, far more powerful than whatever offer or promotion you may provide. So I know we're kind of coming up on, on time here, but you guys have any closing thoughts. It's, it's been fantastic, fascinating. I mean, I, I'm going to be listening to this again just to get everything that you guys said, but will, will, the new, will there be a new normal after this pandemic? Do you think shoppers will go back to their old behavior? Do you expect that to continue? What are your thoughts on some of that? There's some interesting, interesting things there. I mean, I think that the reassurance about safety and, and the store environment is going to help bring people back into the stores uh, when we move th that direction stockpiling for the interim period, you know, that may come back depending on how the fall is. So I'm hoping that retailers have looked at their data from earlier in the year to, to figure out where the, where the issues were and have built partnerships with suppliers to address some of those things as best they can. And I think utilizing learnings from online shopping earlier in the year, whether you're doing click and collect or whether you're doing delivery, what did you learn during that time period? I know there were a lot of people that were just, you know, getting up and running because that's, that's all they could yeah. do. So now look, let's look back on that and say, what did we learn and what do we know from that time period? And what can we do to make sure that we're ready for, for the future? You know, some of this growth is going to stick and, and how do we make sure that that is good growth and that we satisfy those customers, Doug? You know what it is, guys? I hope that when we think about what the new normal is, that we don't try to go back to the old normal. Let's try to get to a, a different place. And I don't mean, you know, throw out everything, but just as an example, if you look at most of the online shopping services that are out there for food retail, they're basically all look the same. They're essentially a big database that you're calling out as a, as a user, as a shopper, and you're selecting things and you're putting things in the cart. And okay, I get that. That's all like 99% of the retailers that are out there, but could we do something different? I was just thinking before I was, I was talking to a group of um, retailers who were all in the marketing function. And it occurred to me as we were talking about online shopping that why don't we just have a number that somebody could call as they're shopping online 
that would go to me as a retailer or go to my dietitian or go right to my chef or go to somebody who's in food service and say, you know what, if you're online right now, call us about your five ingredients you have in your cart and we'll tell you what you should make for dinner. We'll give you the recipe. We'll tell you, you know, like, do you have any questions? And I'm thinking that guys, because I saw last week, I, you've probably seen this before. I don't know if you've seen that Zappos now has on their site where you can ask them anything. And I mean that. I think that there's a, a feedback page on their site. It's anything.zappos.com. If you don't believe it, go to this site where now they're just offering themselves as a resource for any questions you have. Doesn't have to be about shoes. Doesn't have to be about shopping. They're going to interact with you about anything you might want. And that's just such a weird way of thinking about it. But there's a method to their madness there. And I think if we start to think, you know, let's look at some other industries and try to think what we could bring in and not just do the same old thing. I think to me, that would be that would be what I would wish for in the new new, not necessarily the new old normal. What I want in the new new normal is I want to be able to shop using my Oculus VR headset. So that I don't even have to use a computer screen anymore. (laughs) And I can just put my headset on and visit my store virtually because I'm in virtual reality all the time now. So I'd rather try that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I call it Godfather shopping. Sitting in a big old sofa. I want that. I want that. I want that. (laughs) Still over here. (laughs) It's all done, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, this is this has been such a treat, you guys. Thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, just fantastic. I just want to uh, say to the people who are listening that if you have uh, thought that you know a survey is just a bunch of questions that people have to tick off. There's way more to that. And these guys know exactly how to do it right. So if you're ever wondering uh, how to get insights from your shoppers and you're looking beyond just data from transactions, I'd say reach out to the retail feedback group. They're an amazing bunch of people. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again, uh, Doug and Brian. It's been great having you. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.